Hello, welcome to the MJRS podcast. It's episode 99. Finally, 99, it's here. A um, bit of a special one this week. Uh, no real kind of big interviews or anything like that, uh, due to the fact that this week marks the 10th anniversary of my radio show. And uh, Dan is actually here. He's going to be here for the first time in 99 episodes. That's like two and a half years worth of podcasts where we've played Dan's interviews, but he's never been on the podcast. So Dan's here. We're going to talk all about the history of the Mike James Rock Show. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) So I suppose I should start off really because I started it off before you were here. I imagine that you've uh, probably been a little bit overloaded with uh, trying to remember how it all started. But what actually made you start the show? What was the... The, the reason for going I want to go do this okay so when I started on Phonic FM it, it was what came out of um, a temporary license as part of a Exeter City Council festival called Vibraphonic yep and they had like a, a makeshift studio for a one month license for the few years before it became Phonic FM yeah um, and then they uh, gave a full time license and because I'd done I say in inverted commas, a rock show for Vibraphonic FM <laughs> through those two temporary years. Uh, they asked me to do a, a rock show of sorts and I was like, yeah, I'll do it as a temporary thing until one of the rock clubs in town get their act together and, and do Take it. Over. Like, at the time, there was like almost, there was three venues in Exeter that was supporting rock, metal and alternative um, and I thought one of them would want a radio show like this, yeah. uh, especially on a Friday night. Nationwide, for years and years, it's always been Friday night's rock show night on radio stations everywhere so they gave me the, the prime slot on a friday night at 10 o'clock and um well all the other clubs eventually closed down except for, <laughs> uh, except for the cavern club which closed for a while and is now back up and running and it's it's the cream and it's the best place in exeter to go and see live alternative music so i'm not dissing them <laughs> just saying at, at a stage we had no venues at all in exeter that really supported the alternatives um and so, you, um, you started with um, a couple of people that well, yeah. haven't been on the show now for about nine years. Pretty much, yeah. Just yeah. a couple of guys I used to drink with. Another guy called Dan. So you're Dan Mark Two. I'm not Dan Mark Two. <laughs> I'm the most important Dan. Uh, and a guy called John, who uh, last time I heard from him was a few years ago. He was like got himself a little family and was living in Wales. So nice. I don't know actually what's what happened to John, but I know Dan is still in Exeter working away and dabbling in radio and bits and pieces. But. Well, actually, I, I spoke to him the other day and we're having a good giggle about the fact that we're uh, both the rock shows Dan's and uh, <laughs> I believe um, at some point, so I keep tuned in to, to the radio show, I think he does want to come back and do a little bit of a reminiscing that session. That would be quite fun, I think. Yeah, because if Dan meets Dan. The original Dan. Dan. <laughs> oh, I'm going to get so shirty with him whilst he's there. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so started that weekly and no one really kind of came and said they wanted to do a rock show. Yeah. Um, so I said, yeah, quite happy to carry on. I was having fun. It was just a giggle. We started to get some local, some of the local bands that were, you know, making a little name for themselves on the local scene. Get them onto the show. It helped promote them. Yeah. Um, I, I remember those. Like I did um, acoustic sessions. Yeah, uh, that's with all bands like Thirty One. Yeah. Um, I remember um, Idiom coming down. One of the very yeah, they were one of the very very first bands. I had on the radio because I'd promoted them doing live music yeah. a few times in a couple of years beforehand and I was like alright I've got this radio show come in and the, by, at that time studio, the studio we were in was literally the size of your coffee table yeah. and there was three presenters we had someone trying to do some tentative filming type thing yeah. back then well there's there's the live <laughs> <up> for you <laughs> I'm not even going to edit it. Oh, man, that, that's, that's the whole point of live podcasting. Oh, yeah, no, that, that is my tweeting clock. I do apologise. 
So, um, where was I before I got We had uh, somebody uh, filming. Um, in yeah, the yeah. And then we had like, f- I think, three or four members of the band, and we played their tunes out on the radio, and they got all moshy in the studio, and it, it just became a, th- a thing. And then we gradually sort of worked out that this, this could work by having local bands come onto, the, onto yeah. the show and really did build it up. At one point, there was a three-month waiting list for bands to come on the show, just from the West Country and from Exeter, East Devon, Talkie. Well, it was Cornwall to Bristol, really, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and that lasted, uh, well, well into my time uh, on the show. Um, so probably, um, I think we... We didn't stop doing it um, per se, but the show's ethos changed um, about three years ago. Yeah, I guess so. Um, but uh, no, that, that that has always been one of our favourite things to do. I mean, uh, in the time of having bands on, we've had uh, a band get naked because it was so uh, warm in the studio. Yes, that's true. Uh, we've <laughs> had weird acoustic covers of tracks where uh, they've come in and covered pop uh, singles. Yeah, um, done, yeah, all that kind of stuff. We've, we've done made, live tattooing in the studio. Other Dan, done, that was the, that was the other Dan. I've had two different makeovers. There was the black oh, yeah. metal makeover, as well as the um, uh, when we had. Oh, um, you can't remember. I can't, I can't remember. remember that. Who pretty, you pretty little dirty um, little enemy. Uh, no, it's pretty, pretty little enemy. Pretty little enemy. Uh, they came in, uh, shaved me uh, while well, my face. Um, put a load of makeup and a wig on me uh, so I did a a transition shall we say on the show as well that was quite fun We've, um, yeah done all sorts like live phone-ins they're always good fun as yeah. well um, if we had well um, just on the bands coming in we've had a couple of um, really big ones where there was the you know where Cancer Bats um, oh, yeah, yeah. literally walked off stage um, and then came downstairs because they're up in the venue that uh, the studio is in, and they came downstairs straight afterwards. Took over the show. Didn't took they really over the show, which picked was their own tunes and everything. Incredible. We've had um, Skin Dread come in straight off stage as well. Yeah, that was years ago when they were playing four hundred cap venues. Yeah, <laughs> we've had uh, people that were practicing because there's um, practice rooms at the same uh, point yep. in uh, the studio. Just uh, practicing like we had. Uh, local um, legends I divide uh, were doing a practice, or their mates were around the corner. Uh, so they came in the, the day before a single drop and gave us a load of stories about it, which was great fun. It's cool. It really, it really did sort of help cement the show in the in the local ethos because we like, we then get into the realms where we're going off and interviewing bigger bands. Sort of yeah. Like. Yeah, and then you get into going to festivals and some of your local bands you get to see at festivals and they're like oh we always love coming onto your radio show and things like that and yeah. then you get to see say for instance Idiom or I Divide uh, you know we, we remember seeing them play into a handful of people in, in the Cavern Club in Exeter and then in, within a couple of years we've been we've had them on our show we've like, played their tunes load and, and then you see them when they come off playing to a packed tent at Download Festival or opening up the second stage at Download yeah yeah and they um, are absolutely buzzing yeah. and the first people they you know there is all the national press like Scars and Kerrang and all that and the first people they come over to every time local bands always come over to the local person to talk about things yeah. and so we get it like straight off stage straight to come and see us if they're in the media area and uh, just tell us how it all felt and things like that it's, it, you become part of the buzz with them then yeah. it kind of sets us up for the rest of the day really well I think Mike's being a little bit modest in many ways Always. <laughs> um, at this point because uh, not just uh, local to us bands but bands of a local level um, because of 
uh, the fact that we are, um, in some ways, we're the massive geeks of a press area. Um, <laughs> we don't we don't really leave. We turn up to work, um, and we're there all day. And I know, um, especially for a couple of local bands um, that um, are either on hiatus or um, sort of gone now, um, you are the reason why uh, they have like had exposure to the national media. Yeah, we because did kind of, I don't want to say we launched bands, but we made other people aware of bands from our area because our area is way away from every kind of major music hub in the UK. We are the furthest west you can kind of almost get. Well, not only that, but you just uh, happened to uh, pick up the, the PR um, role for them because, mm. of, like, again, um, this is where over years of doing what we've done, we've come up with a, the massive ethos that we run by, which is community, not competition is, um, yeah, we'd have our interview with the local bands that we knew and we'd love the interview, but then it was a case of, right, this person works this, this is his organising their interviews for today, go off and speak to this person. Um, and uh, like I say, over the years, it wasn't just bands from our area uh, that were doing that, is um, you've essentially uh, PR'd various different um, uh, grassroots small uh, bands in press areas if you've ever uh, been made aware that they um, are struggling with the yeah, PR yeah. situation. We love a self-funded band. We love a band that's trying to do um, everything possible because we understand what it's like to self-fund a massive project const- like constantly and consistently. So Mike um, will generally do that side of things, uh, whereas I'm uh, the geek on the computer that will then uh, give them a, a rundown of their social media and um, how they promote our things, going and finding official page links, uh, everybody so I'll write them a list of who's Mike's introduced them to where they can find the social media and all that sort of stuff um, so we've been doing that for quite a few years off the back of essentially discussions with local bands in the studio because they were telling us it's like at festivals you know what do we do how do we get introduced and well Mike was like just come find me I'll do it for you and I'll tell you yeah. as as we're doing it how you do it so next time you can manage yourself you know and it's, it's it has worked I, I remember the band Cambion. Yes, that was one of the ones in my room. Big, big supporters of... We've, I've supported them since before they were Cambion. I remember seeing them when they were another band. You remember seeing them before they had beards. This is true. Um, but the first time they played at Bloodstock Festival, mm-hmm. they'd done the whole Battle of the Bands thing through Bloodstock. And I'd obviously been interviewing bands and realised that PR split bands up. So three guys from Cambion turn up and I was like, right, you there, you there, you there, go and talk to these people. And they had yeah. all their press done within about 25 minutes, which could have taken them three hours. And they were still buzzing and wanted to go out and see their family and friends and stuff. So it, that was just one of the simple little things. It's like split, split yeah. band up. They've all got the same experience and buzz and then get them back together and they can go again instead of keeping them all together. Obviously, there's going to be some press outlets that want the full band because yeah. that's, that's what they're about. And but. that's their um, style. I mean, um, I hope you don't mind me uh, saying that ours, uh, we actually, little rock show secret of the press area is, um, in Caribbean. as a general rule, <laughs> we prefer one to two people. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, because we do so many interviews at festivals and we do stuff like Mike said where we help out other bands and point them in the right direction. It's not, not just bands nowadays, where we have about other stations. Yeah, um, point everybody in the right direction. In fact, tell other stations that if uh, if you're a fledgling interviewer, don't split your attention too much. Get a rapport going with one to two members because um, it takes a while for a band um, of full size um, in an interview to sort of get their head around the fact that you don't talk over each other. Yeah. There's a lot of personality. And that's why I love bands that have... Uh, 
you know, had interviews where they've done that. They come back the next year and suddenly they're trained. They they do it really well, and then you can interview five people in one go. Um, but yeah, that's. Uh, but even sort of, seasoned professionals like us find it difficult as well. Oh, like, like... I, I just the thing is, is I, um, I have um, it's just a problem with my personality, I guess. Is I want to answer every single thing that I'm asked or talked about. So when you have five people saying five things, I was like, right, trying to keep a list in my head of uh, what I should answer from everybody. It's like, no, bend that point off. No, that's not important. And you just you get yourself into a bit of a tiz, don't you, when oh, you're yeah, those yeah. five people? But I think what we also do as well is like over the course of those years where we've learned everything, or not, not even learned everything, just yeah. keep continuously learning. Chatting to other people. That's it. It's, yeah. it's because, it is building those relationships and rapports, not just with PR people, but with the bands and the locals. But when whenever we interview people, it doesn't matter if it's a local band that's only played two gigs and just got a demo tape together. Yeah. We'll interview them exactly the same as if we've just interviewed a guy that's come off of play headlining a festival kind of thing. It's exactly. This, you know, people as people. It doesn't matter what their job is and stuff. You're, you're trying to interview them about them and what their product yeah. is. Yeah, okay, you might get a little bit kind of... For me and you, I'm sure it's still we still get a little bit nervous about talking to people that we're a fans. A little bit starstruck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're, Winston from Parkway is a great example of me um, being overexcited, able to interview, but overexcited every time I speak to him. But what, if you let them know that and you build up a rapport, like, you've, like you just said, you've interviewed Winston three times now and you're kind of quite huggy. Same with me with mm. Danny Filth. Oh, yeah, for he, sure. Like, first off, it was very prickly and now he like climbs over me. And, <laughs> it was literally you know, climbing over you at uh, Bloodstock, which was fantastic. Things like that, yeah. But then again, we've had, um, this is the thing, is we've had some of our best interviews um, from the entire history of the show um, and I, I think uh, you'll remember that state of panic um, interview that we did at Download like six years ago, where you had the entire band and there was like this really uh, um, rock and roll sort of uh, tribute, and they're like jumping all over the camera and like sort of doing gun shows and like fondling you and various other things like that. And it ended up like they weren't the biggest band; they were, you know, just a band that was super happy and excited to be in that situation. Yeah, yeah. And we had a, one of the best interviews with them. I mean, just uh, going for my interview at Tactics, because it's something uh, that, you know, you very much uh, taught me and we still maintain, is we, we are, we like getting sometimes the member that, you know, people perceive as being the one that needs to be spoken to, so the front man or if it's a guitar-based band, the, the lead guitarist, the one that does all the writing. But Yeah, it's, it's the buzz person of the band. But um, back, harking back to the days of uh, when we were in... Plymouth White Rabbit before it got closed down. I remember that we turned up um, and there was uh, it was an interview with Il Nino. Um, we were both super excited to be there because both loved the sound. It was one of the new metal sort of legends of uh, uh, the two thousands. Um, so we're just chatting away uh, to the PR. She's like, "Well, I've got this guy," um, and uh, we're you know, waiting for uh, the front uh, front man to turn up, but he's off and getting food. And we're like, "Why are we waiting?" Uh, like, what do you mean? It's like, well, we talk to anybody. We're happily, like, you know, if he um, is all, in the nicest way, we even said in earshot to him, it's like, if you're always waiting for the front man, then you come have an interview with us and we'll just do it with you. Yeah, yeah. And the guy lit up and then what can only be described as 20 minutes of the most chatty interview for the rest of the day. He ended up taking them at the time we had badge logos and stuff like that. He ended up taking one of our logos and uh, wearing it for the rest of the day. I think that sort of was one of the first kind of interviews where we didn't really write any questions or anything we've kind of gone away from 
question answer, answer question yeah. answer to actually just having a conversation with someone having a chat because when you relax someone like from in having a chat you get more out of them and that's when they drop the little oh, nuggets yeah. like uh, a few years ago obviously uh, uh, who was it Mastodon yeah Bill Kinnear from Mastodon I, I'm a huge Mastodon fan it was the second time seeing them in a fortnight headlining a festival stage and um, I was just chatting to him about them when they headlined Bloodstock a few weeks beforehand and he got really relaxed and dropped out all the information that all the majors didn't pick up on. And yeah. the fact that, yeah, this was their last date. They were going into the studio. They had this this many tracks done and all this kind of stuff. And we put it up online and thought nothing of it. Went and did our normal <laughs> night at a festival, going watch yeah. bands and stuff. Come back the following morning and the internet has exploded with our interview because he's talked about the album and we got it out so quickly that people like Blabbermouth and AP and stuff picked up on our interview and ran with it and it's one of our most popular interviews just because we put the guy at ease and was just chatting not question and answer I'm sure if I'd asked him so tell us about your new album you're about to record he wouldn't have mentioned it but yeah. I didn't even talk about the new album he let it slip all out and I was just like there you go that's, well, that's, I've, that's I've got like in band um, progression on uh, the, the questions um, being ditched because remember I did both uh, Trivium with Paolo yeah. and Corey and kill switch with Andy on question-based interviews. And don't get me wrong, like we had um, a lot of the character that we currently have, where you know we made jokes and everything like that. But I went back and watched uh, them as part of uh, going over some of the stuff for the ten-year anniversary. Um, and like I just feel myself bring the interview to a dead stop as I lift up the bit of paper again, kill off the answer of before, thinking that right, I got to. Got to finish that question, finish that answer, next question. All the way through to, um, you know, my more recent interviews with both Killswitch and Trivium, where the paper has been long since abandoned. And, uh, yeah, we just have conversations. And I remember interviewing um, Killswitch on the wake of uh, Disarm the Descent. We just ended up chatting um, loads about uh, what had happened with uh, the change in vocalists and yeah, yeah. that got really well received because it was quite clear that I didn't want any gory stories about Howard leaving or any drama I just wanted to sort of talk about it in a positive way um, and then again with um, <laughs> I think I'm probably the only person that has ever said to Matt Heafy in an interview that um, I don't like half of his music <laughs> you did too Matt <laughs> and he was just he was, you could kind of tell in his face it's like you'd obviously got him into a good enough place that you could say that to yeah. him and he, he just kind of looked at you and went fair enough you're yeah. being open and honest about it he even said he's like no no he's like I like that because uh, what was it he's like you're clearly still a fan he's like but you're not trying to essentially well um, I wasn't trying to crawl uh, crawl up his uh, booty or anything like that like you know yeah, brown nosing yeah. basically he understood that I was actually a, a truer fan. Like, I was there because I really wanted to be there to talk to him. Not because, you know, oh, it's Trivium or anything like that. Is um, This is a guy I'd listened to for years. And uh, it's always funny when you're so much of a fan um, in an interview as the interviewer because uh, you're reminding them of things that they've completely forgotten about. Or with Matt, um, I got a really nice one afterwards where he's just like, he really appreciated the way I had talked about the UK press from 10 years before when they had like sort of turned on him a little bit and stuff like that because mm. he didn't feel again that I was going after a drama story we were just talking through the history of the band and that is definitely something that you know in the car journeys on the way back from gigs from festivals that we've coached ourselves through and just gone was that alright and then 
put this stuff up online and gone, wait, it's better than all right, people actually seem to like this, this is weird. Well, I think it's, it's the way we cut our teeth as well, it's like learning to go from that question-answer to just conversation-based, mm. is because we've interviewed some of the same bands so many times, because yeah. Yeah. We've, we've seen them at grassroots all the way through, and until they get to a level where they don't talk to people like us anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm thinking sort of like the, how many times did we sit with the Defiled or, oh. or Hacktivist yep. or Heart of a Coward and say, when's the album coming out? When's the album coming out? It's like when, you tr- when you're interviewing a band three or four times a year because it's good to build up the rapport, just to check in, and then you get that kind of matey thing. And that's where we kind of almost got the best sort of conversations because we were like, actually, we can't ask you again. Yeah. We make a joke out of it on camera. It's like, I'm not even going to ask you about when the album's out because we've done that a couple of months ago. So, how have you been? What have you been up to? And then that kind of, well, actually, that works because those videos are more popular than oh, yeah. the question answers. If you want question answers, go and watch Kerrang or Scuzz or because that's what they're there for. They're there for the fans to get what fans want, where yeah. the album was recorded, who was it done by, like, that kind of thing. That's that's big publicity things that yeah. people want to know about, and it's in Facebook posts and stuff like that. Whereas what? the stuff we get, we we talk about is that that you don't even have to be a fan it's just getting to know a person better it's almost like going on a date it's like speed dating <laughs> you get 15 minutes speed dating where you, you, you don't have to ask the questions because mm. you've already asked those on a, like IMs or something like that you're, you're there there to meet them and they know nothing about you but you know a lot about them so yeah. it's trying to get a bit more out of them well the thing which uh, I found with that um, that really benefited uh, the the conversation over questions based uh, uh, format was our most recent festival is um, uh, we were uh, chatting with different bands before the interviews and finding out what was what. And um, I mentioned uh, we were given fact sheets by uh, HRH on the bands that we were interviewing, and it was Acid Rain. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so um, with Acid Rain, like, I had the fact sheets, and I was just going over the details to make sure it was all correct and uh, to put bands at ease. This wasn't on um, camera or, or recorder or anything like that. This is pre-interview. Uh, I'd read out a couple of facts that um, weren't actually on the sheet and were completely false and I was just <laughs> making stuff up to uh, chill them out. But what's interesting is um, by having uh, that, and uh, you know, I do tell the bands from time to time, it's like, look, I just want to touch base with you beforehand. Um, these are my plan, um, like sort of plan points in many ways to go through. Is there anything um, you know, that strictly um, you, your PR company or your record label would like us to avoid? Is there anything that you would particularly like to promote? Uh, because that is still the point at the end of the day, whilst uh, you know, it's having a conversation and it's there for the fans as much as anything else. Bands do want to push the product uh, that is most recently oh, to progress much. a career. And with Acid Rain, um, the the dude was just wanting to not talk about the fact that there used to be a different lineup because they had been their current lineup for three years. Um, and I remember, because uh, it wasn't filmed, it was just like what we're doing now, a bit more of a podcast-style interview. Um, I managed to sum up everything that related to the previous lineup within like a minute, two minutes of uh, talking. And they went, right, that's enough of that. Not really interested in your history anymore. There are interviews surrounding that. There's everything doing that. And let's actually just talk about the future of what Acid Rain is now, what you guys are doing now, what we can expect live now. I was just getting like massive thumbs up and like beaming from the guy. And from that point onwards, the interview just exploded and we went on for another 20 minutes. Um just chatting away um, and the guy was so happy that we actually wanted to promote the product that he wanted to promote and it's quite strange um, when bands realise that you don't have an agenda in the interview apart from wanting to support them yeah um, I find it um, quite strange not that there's any examples I can think of 
But I find it quite strange when PRs do have their own agenda or people want to go after the controversial question because it's like, hey, I don't want to go out for a controversial interview. I want to be um, back here next year. Uh, <laughs> it is nice if something is pulled up and you don't realise it. We've had interviews before, like, where... Oh, well, do you remember the run of POD, Uber Skank, and... Uh, yeah. Oh, what was the other one? POD... Um, Alien Outfarm. Alien Outfarm. We had, like, three exclusives across uh, the day. Well, that's there. it, but it, when you're doing, right, at festivals, you do, like, almost like a conveyor belt. I've mentioned it so many times on this podcast, a conveyor belt of interviews. Yeah. Maybe 15, 16 in the course of about four or five hours. It's hard to remember... A, which band you're talking to, uh, and B, what was said in the interviews. And that one of the prime examples is Black Veil Brides. Oh. Where it was like, Mike, you've got a Black Veil Brides interview. And I've, I've talked about this so many times, but it was a case of, yeah, write another band, do the interview, come come away kind of thing. And it was the same with the Bill Kinnear one we mentioned just now. It's like they talked openly about the new album because we worked so quickly and got the interview up online. We were the first ones to have their exclusive. It's, like, it's not like we were trying to outdo anyone or anything like that it's just that's how it happens our ethos I mean um, we still uh, that, that Black Veil Brides one um, I still, think it shocked us both didn't it well the fact that overnight it actually went truly viral um, which is just incredible though um, it was 12,000 views overnight yeah about um, 12 hours basically and again like um, a a definite trend in the YouTube comments. I'm just going to take a second to talk about Mike's uh, YouTube comments here because on these popular ones um, generally he gets the compliment uh, mine is a bit different uh, my comments are a bit different but generally what Mike gets <laughs> is uh, um, the fact that like with the Black Veil Brides one that one comes to mind uh, with the Code Orange one yeah that was um, cool your Paris one last year that's another one um, Steel Panther um, everything <laughs> like that is um, there is a general trend with people that are fans and watching and commenting that um, sort of say you know this is quite clearly a career interviewer that hasn't lost his sort of love for doing it like you don't look like a Black Veil Brides fan if I'm honest Mike Um, you don't look like a Steel Panther fan if I'm honest (laughs) Um, and but again with that to to the Paris ones to the Code Oranges is what we try and display as much as we can in interviews and it comes out very different ways because we're very different people but is um, just a love of the product so you know it doesn't matter if they necessarily hit our Spotify playlists or, uh, you know, we listen to them constantly. We love Black Veil Brides for the amount that they have inspired a generation to embrace their quirkiness and their weirdness and that, that it's an okay thing. Code Orange, just the fact that they throw all the rules out the window. They, that was just amazing. Um, Wait till you see them now. Yeah. <laughs> you still um, haven't seen them. And, uh, well, by the time this podcast comes out... You would have seen them. Indeed, yes. So by like follow a day. it up on next week's show. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you also had uh, an interview with a female member of the industry, which was not made into about that. It didn't matter in many ways that you're interviewing uh, somebody of the uh, female gender because oh, okay. we don't. Uh, you got very positive reviews online. Yeah, yeah. The fact that you didn't make that a factor again. That's why I referenced the Paris one. Is the guys were stunned once the cameras were turned off. Um, I still remember how thankful they were to you that you weren't talking about the front uh, lady that wasn't there. You actually just wanted to talk about Paris with the rest of Paris. Well, that, that's it, because they become such a big buzz band mm. at the time. It's finding out how and why that all took place, not just because Lynn Gunn is absolutely gorgeous. I mean, Don't get me really... wrong, I would have happily have, like done an interview with it's... her, but it would have been a totally different interview. Yeah, well, it's like when the same year I did uh, You, Me at Six, which were headlining a um, festival stage. 
is um, I didn't care that um, I, I didn't have necessarily the members which people would expect to have um, in an interview or something like that because you get the fantastic stories. The funny thing is, is um, you still remember the time that that worked incredibly well because we were at Bloodstock. Uh, we were meant to be interviewing Chris Jericho of Fozzie. Oh, yeah. Um, and um, I believe it was the Noise Cartel, um, and I believe it was actually one of our uh, sort of long-standing friends at the Noise Cartel, came up, I'm a little bit stressed, um, a little bit um, fussed because, well, if you've ever... Um, done a festival press area, you'll understand that timing just goes out the window. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. You, you, don't, you don't run to it. And you have, you know, bless some people that are new to the game and new to the business, and some old hands as well that expect it to run like clockwork. It's never going to. So no. we are the oasis of calm, because um, <laughs> there's two of us for one, in a, a press area where you know we throw our schedule out the window as soon as we walk in there. That's why we stay there all day. Yeah, we know we've got... Interviews booked yeah. and roughly a time window of about an hour and a half sometimes. And that's why we also have a cameraman stood by the camera consistently handling the next group that's coming up yeah. uh, with one ear on the interview finding out um, everything that's going on. Now, this also has the effect of uh, being able to pick up on things that the interviewer that's doing the interview doesn't notice. So to go back to the uh, Fozzie story, uh, Noise Cartel came up and asked me whether or not... Um, I'd mind taking another member of the band. I was like, well, no, definitely, I'll take another member of the band. They're like, really? Do you not want to speak to Chris Jericho? I was like, I love Chris Jericho, I love wrestling. However, I like, I'm, I'm quite aware, and this was a few years ago, of um, our, like, our standing within the industry. Mm. I was like, you look stressed to absolute hell. I was like, give me another member of the band. I was like, and the only thing that we would ask is that next time there is something that we can do along these lines, please remember that uh, we, uh, you know, Took the uh, the other member and uh, I was scratch going, our pack or scratch it. Yeah, I wouldn't mind Chris Jericho next time. I was like, but equally, if next time you um, have being hounded by time frames and everything like that, I'll take a different member. And so we get into this interview, um, and it was the drummer. It wasn't even uh, Rich Ward, was it? It no, was no, um, uh, the drummer. And like we're um, chatting away, and like this guy is just super psyched to be in a um, <laughs> entertaining interview. Like from the moment we got there, and he saw my energy. He just responded in kind, so we start like chatting away, and then yeah, um, it was more than that, man. You were proper having giggles and stuff. Uh, well, I was going to say like uh, the point which uh, the giggles start is when we started talking about Chris Jericho because he was telling this story about how these uh, guys were like two groups of people were having a fight outside of uh, their tour bus. Yeah, um, and all that had to happen was Chris just had to open the door of the tour bus as Chris Jericho and walk down the steps and suddenly all these big hard men that were like trying to have this fight just all turned and like started getting on wanting autographs <laughs> and stuff like that so we're having this big laugh and you know we were laughing loudly it was great we were like well you were laughing about... so la- loud that um, <laughs> Mr Jericho who was in an interview with uh, let's just say it was a, a nationwide radio station yes, yeah. um, you could hear he was, his ears were pricking up and he was meerkatting looking around to find out why his band member was uh, having and, so much fun in an interview especially because it was the drummer yep. and in, normally it's either Chris or um, Rich Ward that do the interviews and yep. the drummers they're having giggles and everything and it got to the stage where you could see he was getting agitated talking to national radio uh, because he, <laughs> again because somebody like and he said he has said it before and in the other interviews that he's done and Rich has said it as well is um, people enjoy, and it's something that me and Mike push each other on, uh, they enjoy being treated like a human being that just makes music rather than you're a product, give me the details mm. and stuff like that. 
Um, though I do, um, because this is uh, the, the two, uh, the interview part is very much uh, my standing. I'd just like to um, give a little bit of a, a reminder to um, uh, the, the two things that got me to commit full time to the show. Because I mean, me and Mike have been friends for years before he actually started the show, um, and then. When he started the show, I'd pop down from time to time on a Friday night and uh, sort of chat to people on the internet, but I never really said anything, which is surprising because of how much I talk now. You were the silent one on the show. For like two years, um, which was, it was good fun though, and it was what I uh, sort of wanted um, at the time. And we had um, other sort of uh, personalities that were uh, still in the industry, we still work with that, uh, sort of talked on the air. But I remember one time we were, me and Mike were working together in our daytime, normal live jobs. He just turns to me, he's like, I've got a bit of an issue. And I'm like, what's that? He's like, I need to get to Cornwall on this date. And I was like, oh, why? He's like, I've got an interview with uh, Herb and Lee of Dragon Force. And at this point, I was actually quite a big fan of Dragon Force. I was like, sweet. I was like, want me to drive you? He's like, done and done. So we drove all the way to this strange uh, venue in Cornwall. And we had a gig, and there's no word of a lie, we had a gig that um, you'll never, ever, ever see again. Because, um, first off, it was Glamour of the Kill before they went American. Yeah. Um, and fully tattooed. We had the original Glamour of the Kill, which wore all black and had black dyed hair. And uh, that was incredible. We had Silosis with Jamie Graham still fronting them. Yeah, it uh, was when he had blonde hair, didn't he? Yeah, short blonde yeah. hair. Yeah. Um, and that was when he was still fronting those guys. We had the original lineup of Sabaton, yeah. but it was the first time that they had ever played um, a UK gig with the fan base that is now very prevalent in the UK. Um, and we watched all of these guys slowly across the course of the gig go from looking like sort of hardcore, really angry metalers to being so happy that they had this unbelievable fan base that were just screaming blue murder at them. Yeah, yeah. Well, not a dan- lot happens in Cornwall, so yeah. when, when it does, every metaler comes out to it. And um, when they were dancing <laughs> around on stage, just like, I mean, it was the best losing of like sort of metal warrior, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean, that we've ever seen. And then we caught Dragon Force on one of their last uh, runs in the UK uh, with EP um, Heart as well. It was only like another album yeah, I run. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? Yeah. Another album run after that. We we met Herman, got my first ever picture with a, a metal celebrity, which was awesome. And it got to the stage where you're drinking with him in his car. Yes. Um, That's that, how chubby you became. Not on the same night. This was no, a, no, no, a few years night. later, a sonosphere. Oh, <laughs> that was crazy, just drinking out the back of his car in the backstage area. That was nuts. That, <laughs> but we couldn't get back from... Um, the the gig because uh, it was flooded and it took us like three hours to do a two hour journey <laughs> or something like that. It was, it was crazy. Rather wet, wasn't it? And then a little while later, and I don't mind admitting this because it's very much uh, linked to my version of uh, what I might does with the NJRS podcast. Um, what actually got me into this full time and really uh, solved it was I was going through some very hard life stresses and I may have slightly lost all of my hair and my beard um, and. Uh, so I was sat at work with Mike because uh, on, the, on the other end of an email he was winding me up about so don't worry things will get better I got really really angry with him as I said insulting him calling him names and stuff like that and all I got back at like this epic sort of probably 10 uh, paragraph email rant was yeah, feeling better got it off your chest now like yeah, what's going on? You're never normally like this. You don't wind me up like this. He's like, oh, he's like, I just need to clear all of your anger out of your system all of uh, everything like that. He's like, I needed you to yeah, sort of be in this place. He's like, why? He's like, oh, well, you're going to download an press pass. Just thought I'd tell you. 
Um, so that year we went to download. Um, you geared all of the interviews um, around being able to take me to as many of the bands that I wanted to see as possible to really uh, cheer me up. Um, I ran through various people's uh, <laughs> interviews to go get selfies with um, you know, the Kill Switch Engage with um, Trivium, various people. Um, that was the year, though, that I pushed Benji Webb out of the way to shake hands with Corey Taylor. Oh, <laughs> no, and, and that was the that was the funniest thing is um, the one picture that he took ended up being a friend in the industry that we still know, and I showed him that picture like six years later, going, "I took this picture of you having your photo taken," and then Mike just managed to literally elbow Benji Webb out the way to shake the hand of Corey Taylor. It was fantastic. <laughs> I suppose we should talk about some other things we've done locally because we're talking about interviews and stuff. So I guess we yeah we should talk about some of the stuff that we um we used to do locally as well. So we've talked about obviously like all right. the interviews that we've done and the, you know the big names. It's, yeah, it's always good to do that. But we have been supporting from grassroots all the way up. Uh, which uh, which thing are you wanting to talk about? Well, uh, we talked about getting bands in on the radio. That's giving them a leg up that way, so they get airplay and introduce them to other PRs and stuff at festivals when they get there. But for years, there was bands that just couldn't get anywhere, so we used to put bands on. Yeah, we had the local. Um, well, everything from local um, sort of three pound um, local lineup gigs. Yeah, three for three quid kind of thing. All the way to um, we would get uh, one to two uh, named acts down, um, but it was always on a billing that we were able to put local supports on to get those connections built up and made. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I want to bring particular notes uh, to um, the fact that uh, we did, well, you did, and then I joined for the latter years, um, you started the Halloween Zombie Ball because it, in some ways, yeah, it, yeah. it encompasses a lot of our promotion tactics, um, ethoses and everything like that. That started off in a pub. It was. It was just like, yeah, a little stage in a little pub, about 100 capacity. All local bands. In, yeah, in fact, it was. I believe, it was Cambian Headline. Yeah, Cambian, was, who we mentioned earlier. But what we did, we it was one of the, for Phonic FM, it was one of the first and probably one of the only that they've done, outside broadcasts, because it was a Friday night, and we literally had some tech nerd, that wasn't you, yeah. <laughs> sorry man, um, sorry. work it all out, and we at some points throughout the evening of our events broadcast bits of the show uh, live on Phonic FM. Which was incredible. Which, which kind of, it worked, so the following year we moved to the Phoenix yep. and actually had a named band and it kind of just escalated from there and blew up from a pub to the following year to the main auditorium of 400 cap venue and then two years of using every room in that venue and then uh, and an outdoor stage as well as part of the zombie walk yeah well you did the zombie walk as well and then finally um, I think the one that really encompassed what we we're talking about about raising up um, uh, the local uh, sort of support that we've had as much as possible was the the final zombie ball in many ways mm. um, because with that one we um, had two stages yep um, one uh, stage for essentially uh, named acts but was opened by the original headliners of um, the zombie ball by yep. by invitation because of the fact they've been supporting it for so long so they opened up for um, not slip uh, Glamour of the Kill and Skindred, didn't yeah. they? But equally, because um, you know, a band CV is as important as anybody's in the industry CV, 
We then had um, various bands on um, the second stage. All local. All local. All um, gone through Battle of the Bands. Apart from the headliners. um, Yeah. So we had two um, bands that made it through the Battle of the Bands. um, But that's supporting at grassroots again, because we had the heat uh, at the Calvin Club in town, so it supported the independent venue, it supported the bands that, you know, it gave local bands a goal not just to be playing with each other but you know they could be sharing the stage or the lineup you know they could have their name on a poster that's got skin dread on it exactly you know it's still a massive band this was we're only talking 2015 i think it was and interestingly enough because uh, one of the bands um well uh kill the gentleman was mm. one of the bands but the other one which were dreamer within um that gig um and that battle of the bands that everything um, was a, a true example of um, us being sort of almost like a opinionless because we run a battle of the bands on crowd voting. Yeah. Um, we don't have anything that is us sort of as a part of it. 100% audience vote. Um, Dreamer were a fledgling band at this point. They had done, uh, as I understand it from being told the other day, uh, one to two gigs before they did the battle of the bands. Um, they got the battle of the bands, they won it. Um, they then brought the most professional local show that we've seen um, to uh, that apart from the headliners because they brought all their own glow sticks and like, yeah, face paints they, and got they, the... they had zip keys with their EP on it to give away and mm-hmm. stuff like that they really took advantage of the opportunity that they'd won and they ended up backstage afterwards mingling with everybody um, but what's interesting about those guys is we've worked with them ever since um, and to answer a question which uh, we get asked a lot online, um, who uh, actually makes the intros to our shows? Yeah, um, well, all of our products, like yeah. our YouTube, our radio show, the podcast, uh, all that, it's all done by Dreamer Within. Yeah, because um, they, uh, and they've never really asked anything for it, apart from when I'm um, on our last big rebrand where we went sort of guns blazing, we had to... Um, <clears throat> Well, we felt we didn't feel comfortable not paying for the amount of effort that we were asking to be put in. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, but before that, just purely uh, because of you know uh, the way that we work, they've uh, done everything um, to help us for free. But before we, before they got involved with doing all of our, all of our intros and stuff like that, we used uh, Cambion mm. tracks by Cambion, and before that, we used. Uh, other local bands as well. So oh, like Condemned. Yeah, Do you remember condemned. the Condemned intro? We've always used local bands or producers. Yeah. Um, From for, a certain yeah, point, yeah. yeah, yeah we, for, for all of our intros and, and yeah, everything, sort of drop-ins and sound bites and stuff like that, it's all over music by local bands. Yeah. And, uh, how it should be. Then uh, on that one we had uh, the other, sort of at the time, um, on the second stage, the other one, um, local band by invitation, were the at that time the biggest uh, local band that Exeter had to offer. Um, and uh, even though there were, shall we say, production issues on the day, <laughs> uh, because of the fact that it was, you know, locals working with locals, they understood um, sort of everything that was going on. The whole night, even with uh, the minor production issues that affected a bit of the headline set of the local band. Meh. Um, everyone had fun and they didn't worry in fact um, I was so proud of them because they turned it into a once off gig that would never have been seen again because you had uh, somebody that normally did clean scene for um, you know 45 minutes an hour doing uh, full on screaming for 20 minutes it was entertaining it the was, best I saw of it it was so much fun but it um, wasn't just the zombie ball that we've helped local bands form there's a huge festival in Exeter 
literally like 20,000 cap every day for the two days. Mm-hmm. It's free entry. It's called Exit Respect Festival. And it's more geared towards world and that kind of music, isn't you, it? You would it's think like, like world, world beatsy, beats, folksy... Um, reggae, ska, that kind of element. Yeah. And I, we've been doing... At the, when they had the old venue, which was at the Phoenix, they'd have a marquee out the back. And we ran a rock day, so we'd have a marquee. And one year the rock show had it with Fandangle and Sponge and yeah. a load of ska punk bands. And we had big bands in the um, main auditorium. But then when we moved... They moved the festival from there to the 20 Cap Outdoor Festival. Yeah. They kept us involved and wanted that alternative kind of... Link. Link to the festival. Um, so they had the, had it on the two-day uh, two festival on the main stage. We were able to supply two alternative rock metal-type bands for yeah. each day. And that was done through Battle of the Bands. And bands would normally not be able to get even a shoe-in for a festival like that but coming through us and through our links they, they managed to and we we had we had some beatdown bands jammed between oh. a ska band and a, and a world music kind of tabadari type uh, Indian kind of band wasn't it and yeah. uh, in, this, in this field it was like it's, it's it's basically a hippie festival, isn't it? Yeah. For, for diversity and stuff so there was people doing yoga to beatdown metal uh, sort of one o'clock lunchtime and everyone was just loving it because it's so different. And, and well, the um, I remember on that uh, particular yoga one, um, again, uh, through Battle of the Bands and through an entirely crowd-decided uh, Battle of the Bands, Dreamer actually managed to um, do that. It wasn't, <laughs> yeah. wasn't the same year um, as uh, the, the Zombie Ball, but they did uh, manage to get through that. And uh, <laughs> their front man at the time, it was brilliant, just started chatting uh, to uh, the yoga teacher um, whilst uh, they were on yeah, stage, yeah. and I, I was sort of dedicated the track to the uh, guys doing yoga. I mean, I, I remember just watching a mosh pit where the um, oldest person in the mosh pit was ten years old, uh, because all of these kids like heard this heavy music and sort of went over and realised that um, in between songs that um, these guys that were making this heavy, like really different music from anything that they're into, were chatting to the kids in yeah. really, really nice voices. I mean. All the bands that played, they cut the swearing from um, their sets and in between, um, just as a mark of respect for Respect Festival. Um, it was a very very much a family-orientated uh, uh, event, as, as yeah. these kind of council-led free events you have in your cities and towns yeah. actually are. But yeah, it was quite funny. <laughs> and uh, th- that, was, that was brilliant. And uh, um, again, like... Um, a lot of people that attended Respect that year, we uh, you know, uh, read some of the comments that were left on the public forums and stuff like that. And people that weren't even slightly into rock and metal were really appreciative yeah. of the fact that... Um, Went down well. They yeah. asked us back a few years in a row, so it was cool. And, uh, Just life got in the way, so we couldn't get involved for the last year or so. But yeah. I'm sure if they asked us again, we might oh, completely. get uh, involved because it's, it's it's good. It's working with your national, your local authorities as well. For mm-hmm. a radio show like us to be able to say, yeah, we, we've done events with Exeter City Council, with Devon and Cornwall Police, you know, um, especially with respect, they've got all the charities that get involved. Yeah. And with the Zombie Ball as well, there was a lot of background things especially with the zombie walk that, that led to the done. zombie ball yeah. yeah the insurance 
insurances and things like that is a big ask and to be able to say that you're working with these like big companies is, is great it really well, not, helps not only that but you ended up on tv one year uh, i did yeah that was uh, that was crazy yeah, promoting um, yeah. everything that we uh, do and the zombie I, walk was live on itv news <laughs> linked straight to me being interviewed it was a bit surreal and uh with all of that sort of stuff and we we've also um because of the weird standing that um, when you do a radio show with links to the industry and you're a local promoter as well, um, we've managed to um, use that to help people. So we've opened doors for other promoters as much yeah. as we can, put them in contact with the right people. Uh, we've worked with um, other people in the area. Um, so there was the year that we uh, promoted Ran and Crude even, um, Black Star Riders in Europe, yeah. um, in one of Exeter's bigger venues. Well, we had quite a good run for about 18 months of putting on some awesome shows. We had like we had Evil Scarecrow come down to Exeter, we had uh, Activist, Hard of a Coward. Oh, that, that Hard of a Coward, that was, that was one of the last gigs that they did. Um, but again, like um, this, this sort of uh, ability to uh, be able to be because we run the gigs and we compare our own stages because yeah, yeah. Uh, you know that's uh, um, a way that because we like to uh, we're we're a bit old school we like to make sure that the DJing that happens in between bands is actually catered to the bands that are on that night kind of makes sense then doesn't yeah. it but, but people have realised this um, about uh, um, us uh, particularly and Mike is invariably the better um, compare DJ than I, <laughs> I am I'll fully admit that um, but it's meant that uh, because um, I, I can convey about as much as Mike can on the interviews, we've done split duties at festivals where there was takedown uh, yeah. one year where you got invited to do the second stage comparing. Um, and then uh, you know, takedown and advanced promotions were unbelievably grateful that you were the one on the stages. There was production issues that meant that suddenly the compare had to actually cover um, I was a band for 45 minutes <laughs> yeah so again like all you did was just go right um, instead of uh, just slightly well known tracks and no real bangers um, in between you just went right 45 minutes of everything that you want to party to yeah yeah man. It was um, awesome fun. went off I did 30 interviews in one day uh, just uh, and we had another another guy working with us at the time that was just conveyor belting them for me but we, we, again, we did that this year at um, Hard Rock Hell, as I um, stayed in the um, press area, or Hammerfest, um, whichever way you uh, know it's that. Hammerfest, wasn't it? Yeah, um, so I stayed in the press area uh, this year, um, chatting to bands uh, on the first day, and Mike, for the entire day, um, on the main stage of uh, it was Hammerfest, hard work. <laughs> <laughs> um, DJed for uh, the entire day, and we're, you were allowed into the uh, communications of the uh, backline uh, yeah, crew, yeah, it was quite fun, which was uh, incredibly good. But um, again, it, it's just something which we've learned over the years doing the, the different things and almost not like trying our hand at anything. Is we'll we'll work with people, and if we don't know something, um, a lack of pride and a lack of arrogance um, on our part, hopefully, has meant that we we just learn off of people and we see the way that things work well. Well, that's it. We've we've tentatively started getting back into promoting again this year, yeah. and we've already had interest from a lot of bands and a lot of other people that want to work with us because we, we do good stuff apparently well again <laughs> the, the point that we decided because uh, you know I, I, it's not exactly uh, an unknown fact is um we uh, decided to put promotions to one side as it were for a while um because Concentrate on the radio show yeah because having main jobs um at the same time as doing everything else we were at that point i think spreading ourselves a bit too thin yeah, um, very much so. And uh, that's where you've got the now 
uh, defined. Um, and I mean, they, we've worked hard on it now to work out what we wanted to do, and we've had to let go of some things that our hearts were particularly set on, like bringing local bands into the studio a lot more, because um, we, um, through starting the, the MGRS podcast and the Dancast, and the YouTube uh, doing uh, different things as well, we decided to make the actual Mike James Rock Show element of what we do the platform for the entire industry, it doesn't matter whether you're unsigned or um, you know the biggest band out there, mm. is if your music is releasing, that's what we want to actually make the show about, is um, a an advertisement for everything exciting that's going on. And Something new, that's what we do, that's what it, we exactly. live by. And community, not competition, so it doesn't matter whether you're a band that has um, you know just literally put together an EP and doesn't know how to promote it. We know um, recently we wrote a, up a, a checklist for um, bands that sort of um, are tentatively asking how they get uh, radio play. So we send them back. This is yeah. you know the tick list that you need. Um, this is not just for us. This will help you with applying to anybody else. Uh, but equally, um, we have uh, worked on and built up relationships with uh, PR companies. Um, we're uh, one of the things that we're really happy with is um, how well ten year run of never breaking an embargo uh, that we've been given by a press company. No, never, so. never played a track early before they wanted to. Never dropped uh, any details of anything that people don't want to be dropped. We've cut things out of interviews. We've dropped entire interviews. We have, yeah. Uh, there was one at download with a band that shall not be named. Um, that it was so surreal we ended up what like uh, Mike was crying with laughter May it was the funniest interview ever and like they you were out there eating out of your hand and they had that you vice versa kind of thing and it, it was just hilarious I literally was one of the funniest interviews but then as soon as I pressed stop it's like that could not be aired um, <laughs> that could not go anywhere besides the delete button <laughs> as well we do still have a copy of it somewhere but oh. and that was the day I ended up Million um, yours. <laughs> <laughs> I ended up uh, having to go and see the label boss um, of the band. Yeah, not just the PR. Guy, yeah, because like, um, yeah. he's like, I can't make this decision. So I got like the introduction to this label boss, and this this was the scary thing, right? I just want to take a moment because it's still just a um, an unbelievable moment. So like, we did the whole chatting about why I don't uh, feel comfortable posting the interview, and uh, the fact that we had promised that we would do the interview, and we had um, you know made the commitment that we would promote it. And I didn't want to let the record label uh, down. So I ended up in this meeting with the label boss, went through all the reasons why, and at the end of it, he um, sort of uh, gave the go-ahead on pulling the interview. Um, and then given that we had had to have an introduction and all of this sort of stuff, I did, I just did not expect what happened next. Where he turned around and he was like, you're Mike, yep, are definitely, definitely deserving of the reputation that precedes you. <laughs> We're like, I'm sorry, what, what now? <laughs> what reputation you just went, the, you know, sort of the guys that you can rely on to, um, you know promote uh, a band in a way that puts them in the best light that will help them get past these mistakes that are made he's like because the band weren't trying to <laughs> they should not be making these mistakes this is not a small no. fresh band this is yeah but this a touring is a, band we'll put it, it leave it at a, that <laughs> this is a touring band but equally um, the reason why it was so inappropriate is because it was a UK based situation that made the interview inappropriate and they weren't a UK based band um, so the climate of the UK uh, when it came to certain subjects was very much um, you know, something that we had to take into account and that's what the label boss said um, but again it was uh, making sure that the band's name wasn't brought into disrepute for something that was an entirely innocent, entirely you know, not done to cause controversy it just happened to be 
the right interview at very much the wrong time. Yeah. And uh, so, uh, yeah, um, it's, it's stuff like that that over the years, you know, we've had these situations that we've worked our way through um, and uh, come out the other side going, right, well, that taught us a lot. Um, and again, it's, it's it shaped our interviews from that point onwards is if we send something going controversial, we run away. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's it's been a crazy decade, I guess. Uh, it's, it's In part, mostly because you've been involved for the last sort of seven years, I guess. Full time, nine years yeah. on and off for the first couple of years. I mean, the funny thing was, is um story from the first year when you had the other guys on there which links to something this year, is um, you were the first person ever um, to give the Kill Switch um, track, which has gone viral on my <laughs> yeah. Facebook, airtime, like, ten years ago. Um, and uh, like, then it, it was getting played out in clubs and stuff like that. It sort of faded into obscurity until I decided to make a Facebook video of it, and then it ended up with, like, a million views off my Facebook wall, which was just absolutely nuts. Um, but again, like, it's, we've... I don't think we have the time to go over every interesting story and every weird thing that's happened um, across the 10 years of uh, Mike James' rock show. No. No, we've been chatting for the best part of an hour now and we said we'd only talk for about 40 minutes. Yeah. We've hardly scratched the surface, but it's been an insight into what has happened in the last 10 years. Oh, yeah, for sure. And and hopefully we can carry on for another 10 years. That would be uh, the, the aim, I suppose. Yeah, is, um, sustaining now. Yes, because um, not wanting to uh, toot our own horn too much, but we're just super proud of the amount of support that anybody listening to this has shown, anybody that's helped us carry on for 10 years. We're super proud of everybody that's allowed us to do this for 10 years, um, <laughs> yeah. with the industry losing money for the entirety of the 10 years that we've been doing it. It's you been, know? Yeah, it's been bizarre sort of going retro and looking back at everything that we've been involved with and the bands we've interviewed and stuff like that it's mm. like wow <laughs> for, for two guys that you know yeah have full time jobs have lives and you know have done the whole time friends, as well friends girlfriends relationships whatever you know just general having a life it's uh that, that shows how long we've been yeah, chatting no, that's for. the hour marker that's <laughs> fantastic it kind of yeah it kind of it's, it just shows that if you want something you put your mind to it you can go about and, and do it which is what we've done we're not pissed anyone off enough to I don't think we ever have I mean have any kind of bad press about us or anything man it's just get on and be nice to people and community not competition that's what it's all about really exactly support each other but as as the the birds have chirped I think I should wrap up this podcast probably yeah maybe we'll get you on uh, what in another hundred episodes (laughs) yeah I'll come on in a hundred episodes time well I'll just say I'm not playing your interviews out now until you come back on the podcast (laughs) I'm going to introduce them myself. <laughs> so thanks for joining us on the podcast, finally, Dan. And uh, yeah, I'll wrap it up. Thanks for everyone that uh, does the normal things of sharing and liking and whatever platform you're listening to. Uh, give us a little thumbs up or a, a, a review would be nice on uh, iTunes or anything like that. It does help people find us, um, especially because the name's not as easy to find as most other podcasts being called the MJRS podcast. Yeah. It's like, what's that mean? But um, yeah, thanks for, every, for everyone for the last uh, 99 episodes worth of uh, likes and shares and talking about us in a good way, obviously. And uh, I will leave you with the outro that Charlie made. Toodles! Toodles!